and welcome back to another episode of the LifeRaft Physical Security Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Value, and today I'm joined by the CSO of Ray Secure, Will Plummer. Today on the show, we're going to do a deep dive into the problem of mail security and the growing risk it presents for businesses. But before we dive in, a little bit about Will. Like I said, he's the CSO for Ray Secure. Prior to going into the private sector, Will served for 25 years in the U.S. Army, both in infantry and as an explosive ordnance disposal technician. During that time, he commanded special operations units in multiple combat deployments and directed VIP support to the last eight U.S. presidents. Uh, Will, that's quite an impressive resume. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's an issue way to get to mail. You don't think that's the path to a job, but it does work that way sometimes. It's a very convoluted path, but you never know where life's going to take you. Uh, so let's just dive right into our main topic. When I think about a lot of the type of threats that are dominating the conversations today amongst other security professionals, or certainly in the more mainstream media, we tend to think about things like active shooters, malicious insiders, especially on the cybersecurity side with phishing emails and ransomware. I don't think a lot of people are really thinking about the more mundane things like the letters and packages that are coming into their building. Yet, as we kind of discussed before we hit the record button, more people are starting to use that as a means of getting to their target. Can you give kind of listeners an overview of this problem? So, yeah, look at it this way. When you go to most facilities and you walk into, say, a main corporate headquarters, there's two dudes standing in the front wearing, you know, civilian clothes. Most likely one of them is armed and they're making sure that nobody walks through for the active shooter problem. You send an email to any company. It goes through how many firewalls and how many virus checks. You do all sorts of things to make sure that those type of threats get covered. But what you don't necessarily do is see anybody really guarding the back door. What comes in by a mail truck? What comes in by a local courier? Most times. There's somebody back there who might not be the most, let's say, motivated, who just kind of says, yep, I know that guy, waves him on it. And that's a pretty easy way to get threats inside of corporations is by using the logistics footprint. Well, I think about every organization that I've personally joined, and I've gotten a lot of training from the security team about, you know, phishing emails and kind of those issues. But I haven't received anything about, say, mail security and in, in, in anywhere where I've worked previously. And so it's just kind of one of these underrated threats that just people aren't really, that's not top of mind. Yeah, and and the interesting thing is it's hard to get it to go top of mind because people have had mail come to them their entire lives. So it goes to your house. You don't really think about screening it there. When it shows up in the office, even if you are thinking about it, people go, "Uh, it's never going to happen to me. Or I can take the pain of it when it does because it's just a one-time event. But if you start looking at trends, you realize that when you start talking to some of these these corporate security leaders, they'll say things like, you know, I don't have a mail problem. Well, we did have that gun like three weeks ago that we thought somebody was trafficking through the office. And I had all that white powder on my desk 11 months ago and the hazmat team had to come in and you work down those lines and your next sentence to them should be, you do have a mail problem. You need to put something in place because it does happen. So it's the mental shift. Yeah. And what surprised me going through the report that you guys at Ray Secure put together with your open source research is just the sheer number of threats or incidences that are happening you know, worldwide. It's not like a few dozen that tend to crop up in once in a while. It's much more common. We looked at it and much like the START database, the START Center, when they look at terrorism and open source, nobody's really going to self-report. Right. So when I joined Ray Secure in 2019, we were a smaller company. We've since grown significantly, but nobody has a number on this. And there's nowhere to go. Like if you look at the FBI's reporting, uh, ATF, Bomb Data Center, they will kick out one report a year to the public that'll say we had 744, and I'm not giving you a real number, I'm just picking that up, 744 package or parcel incidents in whatever year. 
okay, well, there's no data behind that to drive security people to understand what happened. There's really nothing in it. So we started a database to capture that. So you don't have to self-report. We could take what we get and kind of make some decisions off of that. Let's dive into some of the trends that you guys have found in your reporting. The first question that kind of comes up to me for me is who is responsible for a lot of these incidents? Okay, so you need to look at the vertical that's going to hit to kind of pick out the people that are most likely going to do it. So a disenfranchised government education when, you know, colleges are getting hit. Right now, historically, black colleges here in the United States have been getting bomb threat after bomb threat after bomb threat. You can guess where that's coming from. You get a lot of insider threats. We had a lot of people laid off or quit or, or not happy with their current boss. Those are difficult ones to deal with because those people know who they're targeting. If you look at, we mentioned workplace violence. This could very well be a bellwether for actual active shooter problems. Think about it. You're angry at a company or you're angry at an organization. You send out a tweet. They don't respond. You send out an email. They don't respond or it never gets through because they have a firewall and they've identified you as an actor that they don't want to deal with. The next step in that process is I'm going to write them a letter. I know it sounds old school, but that happens all the time. Uh, when you walk into corporate facilities that have a screening program and process and an active security function, usually there's a handwritten list on a wall that's taped up and says, don't let mail through from these people because they've had stuff come through before. And that list is usually fairly long. The downside to those types of people is they know how to spell the CEO's name properly. They know what the functions are inside that organization for security already. So you don't end up with something that looks like historically a threat. It doesn't have misspellings and everything else on it. It ends up kind of getting through. So it really relies more on the security function to step up and add steps to their process to stop these. One of the things, too, that I found interesting in the report was the kind of old school threats that we're thinking the most about, like, you know, say like a Unabomber kind of explosive yep. issue, isn't necessarily the things that we're seeing a lot today and that the what's actually getting sent in in these type of packages has changed significantly. Can you yep. elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, so like I grew up thinking Unabomber. My time in the bomb squad, that's what the best we trained for. If you read a such a package and you went to the post office, which we did, we've all done hundreds of times, that's what you expect to see. What you see now is white powder threats, Liquid threats where people mailing something caustic or flammable, thinking that it's going to pop out of the bag on the other end. A lot of written out threats where people are explaining what they're new in that escalation of violence process. But most often, if you have something show up, it's not going to be the bomb squad you're dealing with. It's going to be fire EMS and hazmat, like upwards of 50, 60 percent of the time. Those threats are, are becoming more caustic. So if I tell you the numbers we looked at in 2019, I think we had two total events in that year where a white powder that went through was actually toxic or caustic and could hurt somebody. Most of the time it's benign for a couple of reasons. The charges are different. If I send flour or if I send caustic soda, that's a very different charge if you if the, the authorities have run into it. But now in 2021, we saw a significant increase in the amount of items that were shipped in that were actually intended to hurt somebody. So heavy or high concentration bleach, like pool bleach kind of stuff, caustic soda, people trying to make ricin has increased. It's not illegal to own the castor bean. It's not illegal to have that plant. You, people use it for shrubbery all over the place. But to process the bean itself into something that could kill somebody is, and people are doing it more and more often. Who are you seeing are the organizations that are the most at risk of these attacks? So this year, well, the last two years, obviously, the government went up. So in 2020, residential threats went up. That's because the targets they were aimed at went home. Everybody was working because of the pandemic from the house. In 2021, education went up, uh, I believe, like 9 or 10%. And we saw that in 
white powder threats that showed up all over from New York to Tennessee. Government increased courts and uh, jails. So after, especially after the January 6th incident last year, people who didn't agree on either side were reaching out to federal judges and federal courts that they couldn't physically touch with the way that they could and trying to shut them down because they were trying to stop the proceedings, regardless of the side that you felt. Yeah. I think that was interesting, that point that I tuned in there, when you're kind of like the court or you're the, one of the legal teams representing some of these capital riders. And it's no matter what you do as an organization, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, regardless of the position that you take. And you see that with all these other kind of political issues that are in the conversation. <laughs> and if you say something on one side, someone's going to be mad at you. If you say something on the other side, someone's going to be mad at you. If you don't say anything at all, everyone's mad at you. And so it's just a very challenging position that a lot of companies find themselves in. Absolutely. It's catch 22. And it's truly a catch 22 where it's going to cost money on either side. Good example of this is we've got a couple of clients we're trying to figure out during the BLM movements where they were going to donate money. And the CEO is trying to do the right thing in their mind. They're trying to say, I want to give this $10 million to whatever. And the security team is sitting back going, okay, we know that they want to do that. How do we handle what's coming at us if we do this or if we don't do this? You know, omission is just as guilty as, as doing the act. Yeah. The other number that I found kind of interesting in your reports was it, it's not a very even spread when these incidents are happening. You kind of see these sudden spikes up and down over, over time. What are the trigger events that after they occur, organizations face the biggest risk of these kind of attacks? Uh, usually it's inside of an organization like a corporation. It's if you have to look at them now, look at them like breathing entities. I remember that came out in the aughts where it was, you know, now each corporation is its own thing. It can make decisions. It, it can be prosecuted or it can be sued. You have to think of it like that. CEOs step up and say something. There's going to be a reaction. CFOs make statements. There's going to be a reaction. The reality is people get angry at the organization as equally as they get angry with the individual that's standing out. You can do the same amount of damage to a corporate headquarters, and I'm not going to pick one, but pick somebody in your mind and says, this is what they stand up or believe for, and go, well, if I hit their headquarters and get them shut down or one of their main facilities, is that just as effective as getting it the CEO at his home? Well, it's probably more effective. So when they make statements, they're going to go after the company itself. The other thing is obviously what goes on socially. That's what hit 2021 heavily. Our report, that's kind of what we, we tracked, is when something happened, it took over the international news. What's going on? If you look at this year, for example, up to, in 2022, the U.S. and Russia invaded Ukraine. The Russian embassy last week had a white powder threat in Australia, in their capital. And it was an immediate reaction. They evacuated that. It hit national news. You look at what's going on. Nova Scotia has put some interesting stuff up in Canada. They've had, I think we're at 13 or 14 white powder threats now that they've emptied out political leaders across the entirety of Nova Scotia. It's in response to something that's happening. Obviously, that's pretty easy to make statement, but it's the hard part is the corporation or the organization looking at themselves, doing an assessment, saying, we're about to make somebody mad or we're about to believe in this movement. We need to have some increased screening capabilities to make sure whatever's coming our way, we've got a, a handle on it. I'm going to shamelessly promote one of my last episodes with uh, Jerry Hying, and, and we we're talking about the threats to VIPs. And you know, the challenge that some of these security teams are dealing with is even just false rumors that might be circulating online. You, your organization hasn't done anything. They haven't made a decision. Nothing about it is true, but you still have to worry about some internet forum rumor going out of control. And then that's sending in a wave of attacks. I remember the example, I think it was Wayfair, the, the online furniture. And it was some rumor about child trafficking 
completely made up, no truth to it at all. But then the threat still keeps showing up. And uh, I don't know if that had anything like a, a male threat specifically. It wouldn't shock me if it did. But it's a challenging time for any security team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, the disinformation age that we live in, I mean, the deep fake stuff that you can see people doing, I mean, it's got nothing to do really with our topic, but you can make anybody say anything about anything that you want them to. And it's, uh, it's, it's people are still mad. Yeah. I think it's real. Yeah. I think we got a pretty good overview there of some of the biggest findings and the nature of the threat. I guess then I, I kind of want to transition into, do you have any data on the cost that these incidents have to companies? See, that's a hard one to capture because who's going to self-report how much money they lost, right? So we've talked to a lot of folks and we ended up in, and I, I can use one because we already put it on the internet we, from a, our internet, our annual report that we did the webinar last week or two weeks ago now. We assess most of these shutdowns. If you talk about a day, half a day, it's going to be low six figures for non-technical related. I mean, if you're shutting out a production line, a BMW line or something, that's going to be ridiculous, amazing. But if you're talking about headquarters for loss of, uh, man hours for loss of public security in your brand because somebody puts you in a parking lot for an entire day. That's probably low six figures for half a day, plus or minus. I can tell you we had one of our, our attendees on our webinar asked a question and, and basically self-reported. You know, they had 11-minute lockout and it cost them $300,000. These things can be very expensive very quickly. I think just in terms of man hours alone, I mean, you, you sometimes see people doing the analysis of the cost of an unproductive meeting. You mm -hmm. multiply everyone's salary, don't even factor in benefits by two or three hours, and it, it adds up to a few thousand bucks really quick. So you think about it, the whole organization outstanding out in the parking lot, plus the other operational disruptions so that the price tag adds up pretty quick. What's funny about those, most of the time, it's, I mean, a vast majority of the time, it's a false positive if something shows up. The reaction tends to be, like obligatory. All right, everybody outside. If you work through any major corporations event, they plan their security screening or they plan their evacuation event in, you know, months in advance because they know they're going to lose you know, half a day or whatever comes out of it. But every single time it's take everybody out to the parking lot. And that might not be the most effective way of setting that up. If you could have several different options and usually provide a little bit more of a I tune in there with options. I, I want to jump into that in just a sec. But one thing that you mentioned, and, and I have this in my notes, that a lot of maybe CSOs and security professionals aren't necessarily taking this maybe as seriously as they should. Can you elaborate a little bit more on why that might be? They have a lot to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is... Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> nobody goes to work every day and says, I'm going to try to mess this up. They're going to work trying to manage as much as they humanly can and keep as much of it under control. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't power this down to somebody who can affect it and who would have time, energy, and effort to put towards it. But it's just something that they've got in their deck of cards and their decks full. You know, unfortunately, that's where it ends up being. I mean, my personal theory is sometimes we focus on the new and the, the new stuff that's popping up, whereas it's this has been an ongoing issue for a long time, and so it kind of it, it definitely not shiny. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not shiny. Definitely not. Let's transition then into, I want to put myself in the position as if you were talking to me as I'm the CSO of a company or, or maybe a manager. What steps would you recommend to me to start taking right now to protect my organization against this threat? A couple of them. Look at the contracts you have with the third party companies that you're probably paying run your mailroom and make sure that security is in that contract that they can that function. If it's not, it's something that you probably should really take a look at with your team. Put a little bit of emphasis on it, I'm not saying it needs to be something that is your front and center, but 
It's amazing how much a little bit of focus from a senior leader can drive the actions of the subordinate and make sure that there's no real big gaps and seams inside of that logistics function. Because the reality is it's a logistics function, which means it's not mostly or probably being held by your security team. It's probably held by your facilities team or by a company that you pay to manage your facilities. So can you tell them how to screen or what to screen? Probably not because you put that onus on them. But working with them to make sure they understand what they should be doing to protect the organization as a whole, empowering local subordinate leaders. And that sounds, you know, Army 101 kind of thing. But if you empower that facilities manager who owns the building, who owns the functions of all the logistics to add a security slice in there or at least work with the security team more effectively, you'll probably end up with a much better product and a much better screening footprint. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean exactly by empowering the people that might be dealing with these letters and packages? So we talk to a lot of companies that'll have, I'm just going to pick you know, one major one. You sit there and you talk to them and they have two different companies running their screening and logistics functions. One company owns the building, all the people doing almost all the screening and the delivery process. The other company owns the executive protection and they own the security function for a large part of the footprint. Those two companies have a hard time talking because they're on different contracts. They also have a different representative working for each one of these events. So where they should be working together, they're really not. It's a scene that becomes a problem. When you talk about empowering them, there is a manager that runs both of those contracts. They're not necessarily security-minded or facilities-minded, but they are somebody that does touch the contract and can make changes and affect that. Getting that person to push into that subordinate company, hey, this is now something we want to add into your requirements. We want to make sure we're doing this. That would be a great use of, it, of empowering one other thing that I wrote down in my, in my notes here about how companies can get it wrong, you, you mentioned um, putting people out in the parking lot as kind of the default answer for anything mm -hmm. that pops up. Is that one of the biggest mistakes that you kind of see companies doing or what's another way that they could get this wrong? It's not necessarily a mistake to put everybody in the parking lot. I mean, for security reasons, we all know that's a bad idea if somebody might be targeting you with a second and third wave of, of problems. So getting a collective group of people is not necessarily a good idea. But another way that people kind of mess this up is really early on the front end. If you look at companies' SOPs, a lot of times they are just misaligned with what the growing or what the trending threat is. If you say suspect package to most companies, they think bomb. Well, it was less than 3% in 2021 where people started thinking bomb and ended thinking bomb. It was a significant amount of time or number of times where that was start thinking bomb, I end thinking hazmat. Well, they don't plan for the hazmat response. Hmm. They don't necessarily plan for what is actually going to show up to deal with it. Fire, EMS, police, hazmat. That's who you're going to handle. But the SOP or the emergency action plan, the emergency response plan that your people are going to look at to react with, it doesn't align with what's most likely going to happen. There, um, there's a big mismatch between those two. I would recommend for everybody out there to have a small, cheap, effective decontamination kit not like an eyewash station, but something for somebody who, I open this, I'm now covered in powder, how do I get out of this scenario? That is much more likely to happen than somebody mail you a bomb. I think you're the exactly right person to be asking this question, but say the incident has happened, what do I train my team members to do when something suspicious has popped up or, or there's been an incident? Contamination control. So if you've got three people that were exposed and you've got them they decontaminated, they stepped off. They don't get to go mingle back with everybody else. They need to be pushed off to the side and kept there, but evacuating the rest of the folks so they're not increased in the exposure. Those are quick, easy things to practice and do 
that in the event of an actual incident will probably hurt, keeps up from getting hurt. In your last webinar, you've made a couple of predictions about mm -hmm. how you see this trend evolving over the next year or so. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I really think we're going to continue to see increased toxicity of powder and liquid threats as they get sent in. I think that's going to continue. Uh, I think we're going to have a significant amount of drugs that keep showing up in the workplace. That's been something that people will, I've been saying for a while and people are now starting to kind of pay attention to because what if it was one event a year, now they're seeing four or five. Drug dealers don't stay on the street corners anymore. They've learned a brand new tactic. I can mail it in. And if I've got a problem, my spouse probably knows about it. So I'm just mailing it to work. And more and more companies are allowing private mail to show up in the office for work private problems and everything else. Uh, illicit materials will start showing up. The other thing that I think we're really going to continue to see is really aggressive letters and people getting out their feelings and their emotions that are part of the escalation process. Like I said earlier, the tweet, nothing. Email, nothing. Well, I'm going to write down what I think. And then if that doesn't get a response, because most oftentimes it's just trashed, that's going to be, I'm going to go inside there and actually do something now because I've not been listened to. And as we get in a little, I'm not saying we're getting angry as a country, but as the world gets a little more aggressive, it's definitely a step that people are using. And hopefully we can use it as a temperature gauge for stopping anything that escalates beyond that. That's definitely something that we've seen. We saw a lot in the last I don't want to say news cycle, but during the course of the pandemic where you'd see uh, anyone in government talking about these issues like uh, Rand Paul or Fauci that were in the news all the time, they were definitely the lightning rods for a lot of those attacks. But then I can imagine now with the Russian conflict, if I'm doing a protection for anyone that is not many people have business in Russia anymore, but any kind of relations or high profile individuals that you know, might be of Russian descent or, or something like that. I've seen that with... Uh, in the NHL, a lot of Russian athletes are now targets and they're stepping up their security efforts. Unfortunately, that's the first thing that people kind of respond to when they see these things. Yeah, that's like the example I gave earlier, the embassy in, in Australia, the very, it took four days. Well, that's the time it takes for mail to get somewhere. By the time you go up it in, give it a couple of days, it'll show up. I mean, there's going to be continued attacks on the government. That's just going to be a regular instead of the regular response. All right. all right. Well, we're coming up at all the time. I promised to steal from you this week. So why don't you tell uh, listeners about some of the work that you're doing at Ray Secure? So what we're working on is trying to raise awareness of, of male threats as they show up, because unfortunately our, our clients are aware of it because they showed up for a reason. But um, the other thing we're trying to do is kind of rework, like I said earlier, the SOP process, how to help people get into a better posture of low probability, high pain threats when they show up and inform, inform, inform. That's the educate, educate, educate. It's what we're trying to focus on now too. And uh, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you? RaySecure.com. There's no E on the end of RaySecure. It's R-A-Y-S-E-C-U-R.com. It's a great way to do it. And then there's contact us, links on there as well. But uh, I don't know if you pass out emails from this thing, you can do that as well. I'll certainly uh, include a link to your guys' site in the show notes for anyone yeah. that wants to check that out. All right. Will, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Robert. Fantastic. Again, that was Will Plummer, Chief Security Officer at Ray Secure. Thanks again for listening to the Lightcraft Physical Security Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. And if you'd like more insights on building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our website at lightraftinc.com. That's lightraftinc.com. And I hope you tune in next time.